Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Brethren, this is God's Word. Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of this precious passage. Brethren, we're studying the doctrine of preservation and perseverance of God's saints. The study of the Word of God reveals that the saints' perseverance is upheld by at least four pillars. We introduced these last week. The first is the immutability of God's nature, His purpose, and His promises. The immutability of His nature, His purpose, and His promises. Secondly, the mediation and intercession of Christ. Thirdly, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and fourthly, the nature of salvation itself. Tonight, we want to take up the immutability of God's nature, His purpose, and His promises. As I said last week, uh, the doctrine of the saints' perseverance is where all the rest of the doctrines terminate. So we will be making ref uh, reference on and off through this study to numerous passages that we've looked at before in other contexts. But we want to see how they all work together to encourage and build up the saints in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the great and gracious hope that we have that all the way to the end of our journey toward the celestial city, God will preserve us and by His blessed, preserving grace, we will persevere unto the end. So, we want to begin this evening looking at this first major pillar upon which our perseverance rests. And that is the immutability of God's nature, His purpose, and His promises. So let's look first at God's nature. The God who made... Heaven and earth is the unchanging sovereign of the universe. One of the attributes of God is immutability. Now, that may not be a word that you're familiar with. I hope you are, but if you are not, <clears throat> it's an important word uh, when we study uh, the nature and character of our great God. But immutability means that He cannot change or be changed in His essence, or His perfections. God cannot change, God cannot be changed, in His essence, or His perfections. Now, why is that important? Well, as we see this unfold in His eternal purpose, we'll see that it's the very bedrock of our assurance and our hope of persevering. First of all, God's nature is immutable. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Israel had a long history of rebellion, and there were numerous times when God sent His prophets to bring His Word, to restore and to correct them, to reprove them and to warn them. But they would not hear. How is it that out of this stiff-necked people, the Lord Jesus Christ finally came? It wasn't because some of them were so wonderful, so good, and so holy. It was because God doesn't change. That's why they were not consumed in His anger. You say, well, what does God not changing have to do with them not being consumed? God, who is immutable, has an eternal purpose. And His purpose flows directly from who and what He is.
<clears throat> the prophet speaks to the sons of Jacob, that is, those whom God preserves. Their hope is not in themselves, as their history of rebellion makes very clear. Their hope is the God who does not change. If He does not change, then His purpose will not change. Now we see that in His love. God's love is immutable. God's love doesn't change. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. It began in eternity. It will continue throughout all eternity. It is an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. How is it, Jeremiah, that you have been drawn to me? It is because I loved you. I have always loved you. <clears throat> we can find no comfort in a God who loves like human beings. One that loves us one day and rejects us the next. Now that's what we find in human so-called love. But the God of the Bible is not that way. And that's why it's absolutely vital for us to understand that God is unchanging. He's unchanging in His nature. He's not evolving. He's not going to become something bigger or something smaller. He remains the same. And His perfections remain the same. Before the foundation of the world, the unchanging God set His unchanging love upon a people. This is the bedrock of our comfort. I could spend a great deal of time here, but we'll press on. Let's look at His purpose. God's nature is immutable. God's purpose is immutable. Thomas Watson said, God's decree is the very pillar and basis on which the saint's perseverance depends. That decree ties the knot of adoption so fast that neither sin, death, nor hell can break it asunder. That's a good quote. He also said, When God calls a man, he does not repent of it. God does not, as many friends do, love one day and hate another, or as princes who make their subjects favorites and afterwards throw them into prison. This is the blessedness of a saint. His condition admits of no alteration. Now, when he speaks of the saint's condition there, he means being in the state of saving grace. Of course, we are changeable. We are immutable. But when God has set His love upon us, our condition of knowing His love does not alter. Watson goes on to say, God's call is founded upon His decree, and His decree is immutable. Acts of grace cannot be reversed. God blots out His people's sins but not their names. Close quote. Now that's wonderful. But you see, brethren, if we begin with us, we can never have a genuine assurance. We can never be certain that we will persevere to the end. Any, any child of God, because of the indwelling Spirit, knows that His condition is weak, feeble, unstable. And for us to look at ourselves even on our best day is to guarantee despair when it comes to hope of persevering to the end. We must begin where our perseverance begins. And that is in the unchanging character of God and His unchanging love for us which is manifested in an unchanging purpose. 
before the foundation of the world, the God who loved us had a purpose. And He's unfolding that purpose every single day of the history of this world. And while all around us there is change in the temporal realm, the God of heaven and earth and His eternal decree to save His people does not change. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9 this tells us of the immutability of God's purposes in providence. Isaiah 46 verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it. Where does God begin? In His nature. He says, I am God, there's none else. There is no one like me. I am the one and only true God. There is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning. How can he do that? He knows all things. And being the sovereign of the universe, he knows what he's going to bring to pass and what he's going to permit. He knows because as the sovereign ruler of history... History is simply the unfolding of His purpose. He says, My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. He ends by saying, I've spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. We speak it and rarely bring it to pass. And when we do, it's only because we can praise and thank God that in His mercy we happen to be on His schedule. And by His grace, He helped us so that we can boldly say, The Lord is my helper. And we would love to be able to just say it, and that's the way it's going to be. That's the way it's going to be done. But most of us have to live in the real world and we know it doesn't go that way. Our very best intentions, our most intense efforts unless God has purposed for them to come to pass, fall into the dust. But it isn't that way with God. We always err when we think of God like us. He, because He is the Sovereign, speaks it, brings it to pass. He says, I have purposed it and I will do it. He's going to bring in <clears throat> judgment upon Israel. And nothing's going to stop it, he says. God is unchangeable in His purposes in providence. Psalm 33, verse 9, For He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of His heart to all generations. There it is once again. He brings the counsel of the heathen to nothing. He makes the devices of the people of none effect. There is no succeeding apart from God's purpose. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. It is immutable. If God so wills it to come to pass, then the thoughts of His heart will extend to all generations. Proverbs 19.21 There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand. Brethren, <coughs> these are matters that we need to review in our hearts regularly. God is God. We are not. 
And you'd think that's the, the, the obvious thing that all people understand. But all people do not understand that. And very often when we nod our heads saying, oh yes, amen, God is sovereign, our lives don't reflect that we believe that. He brings things across our paths. He trashes our schedules and our plans. And what do we do? We murmur and complain. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm dumb before Thee. I'll close my mouth. Thou hast done it. He's unchangeable in His purposes. He is immutable in His providence. God is also immutable in salvation. While many would agree that God is immutable in providence, <coughs> uh, that number considerably shrinks when we come to the issue of salvation. But it is the testimony of Scripture nonetheless. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And brethren, Jesus Christ is the key to understanding the unfolding purpose of God and the basis for our assurance. It is not only that God is immutable and unchangeable, it is because He has purposed a perfect salvation for His people that we may have comfort knowing that we will persevere. It is all in what Christ was sent to do, what He accomplished. It's all there. The unchanging God with an unchanging love has an unchanging purpose founded entirely in His Son who brought to pass upon the cross of Calvary <clears throat> the purchase of a perfect righteousness for His people. On the third day, raised again. And then later, ascending up into heaven to go into His glorious session of intercession for us. It's all in Christ. It was given us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And that hasn't changed today. It will not change tomorrow. It will not be modified. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save His people from their sins. The eternally wise God, with His eternal love for us, has lavished that love upon us in His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. And this is what He purposed to do for each of His children. And that is why every one of them will persevere. God the Father perfectly designed the salvation of His people according to their desperate need. Jesus Christ meets all the needs of His people. That will not change. That's the unchanging love of God toward His people. Full and free salvation in Jesus Christ. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Eternal purpose. Eternal love. Our being saved in Christ having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. If God, who is unchanging, has set an unchanging and everlasting love upon His dear children, and that love is shown in the perfect sacrifice for them in Jesus Christ, how can they not persevere? having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. You see how this all begins to come together? God's eternal purpose is to save His people from their sins in Jesus Christ. We would have to be able to find some fatal flaw in that design 
in order to say that God's children cannot persevere. Or that God purposefully ordained a flawed plan that could fail. I don't think we can go to the Scriptures to find that. Romans 8.28 takes up the same theme. Follow the idea of God's children persevering from God's immutable character, immutable nature, and His immutable love. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. So, what do we have here? We have the immutable God in His immutable love and an immutable purpose to make a people like Christ. Put all of that together here and see what we have. Those that are called according to His purpose <clears throat> have been predestinated. He has marked out the boundaries for them. And He called them. The ones that He has called and those alone, He justifies. This was God's eternal purpose in Christ before the foundation of the world. That they should have a perfect righteousness in His Holy Son. In the glorious life, death, and resurrection, and in the mediation and intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of God's people, each one of God's people, has absolute certainty of hope. Because they have been justified. Having been called of God to repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, all their sins are washed away. This eternal purpose, flowing from the eternal, immutable nature of God and immutable love of God, is a purpose to put away all of their sins forever. What can possibly separate God's people from God any time after that. That is why Paul says, whom he justified, them he also glorified. He doesn't say, them he also will glorify. Now that's the way we probably would have written it. Paul goes past tense under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why? Now, I don't mean to be irreverent when I use this term, but it's a done deal for God's children. His purpose is that they be like His Son. He didn't put a faulty purpose into place. It was a loving purpose to make them like Christ and to succeed in it. God, knowing all things, knew exactly what every one of His children needs to persevere. And that is rooted in all of their sins being washed away in Christ. That's what they need the most. A... a a forgiveness of sins and a perfect righteousness which comes by faith in the Lord Jesus. Therefore, when they are justified, though from our perspective, our glorification is still in the future. It's a reality with God that is certain to come to pass. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And that's as plain as it can possibly be. He then goes on to say, And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now I have heard some fervent Arminians say, that's right. Jesus won't cast you out, but you can cast yourself out. <sighs> Brethren, when we make man the center of theology instead of Christ, our theology is reduced to absurdities. 
Christ said, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. The immutable God, in his immutable love, sent his Son to do his immutable purpose. And Christ is declaring that now. And what is that purpose? This is the Father's will, he says in verse 39, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. If one that God the Father gives to his Son is lost, the Son has not done the Father's will, according to this passage. We have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ because God's eternal love for His people is unchanging. He defies the salvation in Christ that cannot be lost. And Christ is announcing it here. This is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And the Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? We know this fellow. What's he talking about? He came down from heaven. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can. Word of ability. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. For any one of the Lord's children to be lost, they must somehow be instructed and drawn by the Father unto Himself, and yet, even though Christ has paid for all of His sins, be lost again, even though this was not God's eternal purpose. Brethren, the Gospel is good news because it really means salvation for God's people they really will persevere to the end. Now, not everyone that says he's a Christian will, but everyone that is God's elect will. It is the eternal, immutable purpose of the immutable love of God in His immutable design for salvation in Christ. Christ can say, everyone that the Father gives me will not be lost. I'm going to raise him up at the last day because he knows that he will be the perfect sin-bearing substitute for every single one of God's children. He knows that he's paying for all of their sin. He bore our sins upon the tree and he bore us just as the high priest wore the breastplate and had on it the stones that represented Israel. What was this? He carried them over his heart. Brethren, so it was on the cross. The high priest of heaven and earth bore us on his heart. He paid for all our sins. And he will raise us up at the last day. That's the Father's purpose. Well, God's promises. God's nature, God's purpose, God's promises. First of all, the promises flow from a God who cannot lie. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. 
For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. These are glad tidings. The God of heaven and earth, by two immutable things, wants us to have strong consolation. His promise and His oath. He promised us a salvation and He swore by Himself because there's none greater than He so that we would have a strong consolation. My promise is certain because I swear by myself that it is so. Brethren, who here will call God a liar? God has sworn and sworn an oath on His own glorious authority, on His own glorious character, because there's no higher, the passage says. No one else for Him to go to. No one else for Him to appeal to. He says, I swear it will come to pass. Do you hear the words? Listen again. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel. There's our word. There it is. Unchanging. Unchanging love in Christ and a purpose to cleanse us and keep us for all eternity. And that we might have strong consolation and unshakable certainty. He swears by Himself. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. As Paul speaks to Titus, so can we, through the inspired word, speak to the Lord's children today. Paul says, <clears throat> God cannot lie. And brethren, on the authority of God's word, I can say to you, God cannot lie. His promises are absolutely sure. God manifests His Word through preaching. Is committed unto, was committed unto Paul, and is committed unto the Lord's people, to the elders of the church by the power of the Spirit and the apostolic witness, we may declare the unfailing promises of God. He cannot lie, and He has sworn by Himself. How certain is that? I urge you with all of my heart, meditate on that. How certain is a promise from the God who cannot lie? Well, these promises flow from God's eternal purpose and immutable love, as we've said numerous times, but this is how it's manifested. That's why a verse like this carries the weight that it really should. John 3.16 For God so loved, it flows from His love, an immutable love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, understanding the things that we've discussed just this uh, far this evening, that should give us great comfort. 
This makes this a precious verse, perhaps more than we can imagine ever before. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where we began. This is why Paul can say, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. He, that's the living God, which hath begun a good work. We were lost, but now we're found. We're blind, but now we see. He has come by the power of His Holy Spirit, opening our hearts and bringing us to a clear understanding of His glories, His gospel in Christ. He's begun a good work in us. By opening our hearts and showing us the depths of our sin, we, by the power of the Spirit, turn in faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting Him alone. That's a work begun by God. And Paul says something that is astounding if we could but lay hold of it. He that hath begun a good work in you will sit back and hope that you'll make it to the end. Will sit back and lay the entire weight of this upon you, hoping that you will be able to persevere by your own good works. Well, that would be miserable. And yet, dear brethren, that is exactly what some people labor under. I've heard it said, free will gets you in, free will keeps you in, free will gets you out if you want to. In other words, if you don't keep yourself holy enough, you have no hope of making it to the end. Brethren, that's not where Paul is. That's not what Paul teaches. He says, He that's begun a good work in you will continue it until the very day of Jesus Christ. He will perform it. Brethren, that's why those who are not walking with the Lord have every reason to be concerned. Not because their works secure their salvation in some meritorious way, but because if God's there, His life will be manifested in ours. He will perform the work. John chapter 10, verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And they won't be plucked out of the Father's hand either. God has begun a good work in them. In His immutable love, unfolding His immutable purpose, He has promised and sworn an oath, and He's accomplished on behalf of His people, everything that they need so that they will be eternally safe. It can be likened to being in the Son's hand and in the Father's hand. And no one can take them out of their hands. While we eschew easy believism, while we despise and loathe the irreverent ideas often accompanying the false notions of once saved, always saved today, we never want to lose the glorious foundation of why God's saints are certain to persevere. The promises concern Christ. He is both the origin and the subject of the promises. The new covenant is based on better promises. Remember Genesis 3.15 I will put enmity between thee, the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. 
it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And did that come to pass? It certainly did. On the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ won for his seed the perfect triumph over the seed of the serpent. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, excuse me, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, Amen unto the glory of God by us. All the promises, they're all in Christ. And He accomplished the Father's will. What was the Father's will? That all that the Father gave Him would come to Him. He would not cast any of them out. He gives unto them eternal life. They're in His hand. His blood has been shed so that all their sins are wiped away. This is the eternal purpose of God. This has been accomplished by God for His people. The promises are about Christ, the triumphant, the victorious Redeemer. All the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, amen. Brethren, the promises concern this pardon of sin. And they are explicit. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What can stand between us and our God when all our unrighteousnesses are washed away? This is why Paul could stand with great assurance and preach in Acts 13, verse 38. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, be it known unto you that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. He was setting before them, before them his brethren, he was setting before them the glories of a saving Christ. And he called men to him because those who came in repentance and faith have all their sins washed away. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. And there's so many verses regarding this, brethren. This is just a tiny sample. The promises concern persevering itself. Again, these are just two representative passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Speaking of God, it says, Who shall also confirm you unto the end? He shall confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Where does He ground? our hope in the faithfulness of the God who called us to Christ. Who is that God? The God with an immutable nature manifesting as one of His perfections an immutable love for His people which is seen and believed by us in His eternal purpose in Christ Jesus First Thessalonians 5.23 Paul says and the very God of peace sanctify you holy and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ notice be preserved this is God's preserving mercy be preserved. And then he follows it with verse 24. Faithful is he that called you. Faithful is he that calleth you. 
who also will do it. Brethren, this is ground for much praise. This is why we may have certain hope. The blood of Jesus Christ is the focal point of God's eternal purpose in love for us. It washes away all our sin. And we are His. We are His. He bought us. And He's going to preserve us to the end. Spirit, soul, body preserved unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. Because faithful is He that called Well, the last thing we want to consider this evening is the promises concern the Holy Spirit. These promises concern the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter that He may abide with you forever. Jesus, the intercessor, is going to pray for these sinful, wicked human beings. What's He going to pray for them? Father, help them to uh, day by day persevere under their own steam. No, He doesn't pray that. He says, Father, give them Thy Spirit. Give them Thy Spirit. Give them the Spirit to abide with them forever. And they will persevere because of that preserving mercy. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. But ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. John reiterates that kind of talk in in his epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing, that is the Spirit of God, teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in Him. Ye shall abide in Him. Why does any saint ever persevere? Because of the preserving mercy of a God who gives an abiding spirit. I close with Acts chapter 2. Verse 33, it says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For the promise the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that abides, is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Whom He did predestinate, then He also called. Whom He called, He also justified. Whom He justified, then He also glorified. Why does any saint persevere? We've said it a number of different ways. But brethren, because of God's nature, God's purpose, and God's promises. They are immutable. And these are the solid foundation. The bedrock for our hope of persevering to the end. It is all of grace, all of Christ. To Him be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that Your Word makes so explicit that Your eternal purpose cannot change. Father, those who would cast out Your decrees cast out their security. They cast out hope of abiding until the end. But Lord, You purposed through Christ to give us an abiding spirit 
unto everlasting life. We praise and bless and thank Thee. In Jesus' holy name, Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.